0: Practiced? Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Yogurt is good for you. Yeah. Hold on. What's, what's, what's that yogurt? What do you have to say? You can listen to yogurt, you know, these people are charged full with the charge of the soul yogurt. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. What's that you say? Yogurt These people are pretty lovely. I also agree with you too there. And sorry, one more thing you didn't say. Oh yeah. The fruits on the bottom. Sorry. I will, I will mix you up. Okay. So, thanks very much, Ogre. So, that joke you will get if you saw this movie. This movie partakes, I am, a documentary, it partakes and spends a lot of time talking about things that, for lack of a better word, are woo. Do you know what woo is? Woo is kind of out there metaphysically. Woo is kind of like, ooh, is this stuff really real? Is it true? Or is it just some kind of grand theory that doesn't really make sense? So, there's a lot of woo in this movie, and I'll tell you some of my thoughts about woo in just a moment. I don't think this movie makes the best case for woo. So, if this movie was like a forest, what I'd say about this movie is that some of the individual trees, especially the woo trees in this forest, are not quite distinct. They're not quite drawn out with the fullest of measure. And yet, how I feel about this movie is that the forest itself that it conveys is absolutely beautiful. This movie is the product of a guy named Tom Shediak who some of you might have seen in his less elevated work that he's put together. Liar, Liar, Ace Ventura. He claims credit, he says, for having Jim Carrey be the one who talks out of his butt. Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty, all kinds of kind of PG-13-ish comedies that push the boundaries of good taste without really erasing it. And that ultimately all have a very nice, wholesome moral at the end. Well, Tom, this is his story, is that he was wildly successful. Hundreds of millions of dollars, his movies made. Until one day several years ago, he had a terrible bike accident. Wrecked his body and also did terrible damage to his brain. For months after, he had post-concussion syndrome, which he found absolutely debilitating. He wasn't able to be around bright lights. He was dizzy all the time. He never felt stable on the ground. In addition to being physically debilitated, he fell into a deep despair and depression and wondered if he wanted to live. In that time, he found himself reflecting upon the life that he had been living. A life of opulence that no longer seemed nearly as meaningful or as happy as it once did. And he vowed, if he ever emerged from the trauma of the accident, that he would share with the world and seek more answers within the world for the clarity that he found. And so he did emerge from his accident. And this movie, I Am, is focused around two questions. What's wrong with our world and what can we do about it? What is wrong with our world and what can we do about it? And he went and he spoke to scientists and artists and spiritual folks, people like Desmond Tutu or the historian Howard Zinn or Coleman Barks, who has done a wonderful job with bringing Rumi's ancient, beautiful poetry to life. To try and find answers, meaningful answers to this question. What's wrong with the world and what can we do about it? What can I do about it? This phrase, I am, comes from the generous of heart, Orthodox Christian theologian G.K. Chesterton. He's the one who said decades ago, angels can fly only because they take themselves lightly. And G.K. Chesterton was once asked to write an essay about what's wrong with the world for an English magazine. And he had a very simple answer. What's wrong with the world? He wrote, I am. Not me, Ken Belton. But he didn't know me. He would have claimed me if he knew me, that I am what's wrong with the world. Tom Shadiac goes on to say that that answer is true. But there's another answer as well that he finds in the course of making this documentary. That what's right with the world, I am. We are. The movie spends a lot of time talking about these kind of woo connections, like yogurt. Now, explaining exactly what happened, if you haven't seen the movie, they're talking about how um, human emotions interact with non-human entities. And so they wire up the filmmaker and connect between him and two electrodes to a Petri dish of yogurt. And they have him talking about his agent, of whom it seems he is not terribly fond. And then they have this little Geigery counter-looking kind of thing that registers him talking about his agent. Paul eh. or me not terribly convinced by that, especially because they spend all of two minutes on it and seemingly want to make it a really big point. It's a bunch of electrodes in yogurt with a Geiger counter that keeps going like this. They talk a little bit more, however, about something that I think is interesting, that I find more compelling, uh, something called quantum entanglement. Uh, My uh, physics for poets kind of mind that I have... Understands uh, quantum entanglement like this, that two particles at one point in their existence might have been conjoined or very, very closely held together and that you can separate those two particles very far apart and that they will show signs at some other point in their life cycle or in their being if you interact with one of the particles, even though they're very far away. The other particle far away, even though it doesn't know or have the same force interacting with it as the first particle, will show similar changes and effects. Einstein called this spooky action at a distance. He didn't like it, but it's been demonstrated to be true. Some people want to extend this idea of quantum entanglement into the human realm as well. I don't know what I think about that, but here's what I do know. I'm open to it. I may have shared this with some of you. A number of years ago, my father was on a vacation thousands of miles away. And he was swimming in a pool one late afternoon, just back and forth doing laps. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the pool, he totally lost physical coordination. It's like his limbs stopped moving and he was just flailing around the water. And He thought he might drop to the center of the pool. Somehow he was able to get himself over to the side of the pool, recapture his breath, and eventually, after a few minutes of hanging there by the side of the pool, he felt coordination come back into his limbs. Later that night, he found out that his mother, in her 90s, her mind long since gone to Alzheimer's, had passed away just at the same time that he was swimming In the pool. Hmm. Pools like the womb, like water. Was that a moment of reversion to a pre-birth-like state in which when the person who gave him life had died, he himself had an experience for a moment not quite existing yet? I don't know. But I find it interesting. Interesting. And here's the cool thing. I know a lot of people who have had experiences like this. That maybe there's something true in the woo. And that we are all connected. But here's also the thing. That as cool as this might be, and as real as experiences like this are for some of us, it's just not the point of a spiritual life. It's just not the point not to find the things that take us up and out and away, but the point of the spiritual life is to find the things that bring us back here and now as we go through our lives, not with any metaphysical effects, but simply by paying attention. It's a wonderful story in the Buddhist tradition that tells about a young student, a young novice, who is so avid about his desire for enlightenment that one day he is sitting in his little monastic cell, sitting for hours on end, And he has a vision of the Buddha right in front of him. And he's so excited that he gets up off of his mat in his cell and he runs down the hall to the grand meditation hall and he finds the senior teacher. He says, teacher, I have seen the Buddha. The Buddha has appeared right here before me. And the senior teacher, slowly opening his eyes from his own meditation, turns to the young, excitable and exciting student and says, return to your cell, return to your breath. And I'm sure eventually the Buddha will go away. (laughs) The point in our lives to really grow is not to get elsewhere. It's to be here. And so one of the reasons that I did love this movie is that beyond the hypothetical woo, the stuff that's cool but I don't really think is the point, is that this movie comes back and back and back again to something that is unalterably true. Reality is relationship, and relationship is reality. Everything that lives is connected to everything else that lives. As the great Catholic contemplative teacher Richard Rohr said simply, everything belongs. And so this movie spends a lot of time talking about the ways in which we miss our connections. They interview a scientist who says that in Darwin's great second book on evolution, The Descent of Man, that, that phrase, survival of the fittest, is mentioned two times, but love is mentioned 95 times. For so many of us, when we hear about evolution or we hear about survival of the fittest, we will stress the competitive interpretation of that. We will stress the scarcity interpretation of that. And what this movie wants to say over and over again, and I think it's absolutely right, is that yes, competition is a part of life, but only a part. And that even more than the competitive urge or instinct or reality, is that cooperation and loving relationship is what makes life possible. This movie makes a kind of point that I think is right on target, which is that our society, even as our society becomes more and more post Christian, This idea that resources really are scarce and that everything is about competition is, as I understand it, a form of secularized original sin, which is that this creation is fallen irreparably. This creation, and we are a part of it, is broken irreparably. And this interpretation denies the wholeness and the basic original blessed holiness of our connections. In the movie, they talk about a mechanistic view of the world, a materialistic view of the world, and they give this nice little, ooh, that's a good opportunity to remember to breathe. I like that. Whose smartphone was that? Thank you. I'm going to stop and breathe for a moment. The movie gives a great little illustration about the difference between seeing ourselves as machines and seeing ourselves as a living embodiment of the wider world and an animating spirit. A teacher says, take your car and take your dog. Both move around on something like four wheels, four legs. Take your car apart and put it back together. It will run. Take your dog apart and try to put it back together, and it won't. We are not machines. We cannot and deserve not to be driven and driven and driven to the point that we exhaust ourselves. This movie makes the point of something that Einstein also said, which is that it is an optical illusion of our consciousness that we are separate. So often we conceive of the world out there, out there, And that somehow we are separate from the world itself. But this is not the truth. This is what the movie would say is the problem of the I am that believes it is totally separate from everyone and everything else. And it is also the I am that heals the self and heals others to recognize we are not apart from, but we are a part of. I saw this truth revealed right here at the school on Friday. For the second time in four years, I was invited to give the invocation at their graduation. And so in back of me were all the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, young graduates moving on to the next thing that's coming up in their lives. And I congratulate them, and I turned out to face all the people, all the parents, all the grandparents, all the teachers, and the truth was demonstrated to me that, yes, individual merit matters, but behind every single individual merit, individual success, individual achievement, it wouldn't be possible if there was not a network of relationships lifting us up and making our individualized possible in the first place. Reality is relationship, and relationship is reality. This is why we chose the song for this morning, I Love You and Buddha Too. It reminds me of something Thoreau, our great spiritual ancestor, said when he was questioned by someone that he knew well, who was much more religiously orthodox, and they were very suspicious of the fact that this guy, this sage of Concord, as I think he was called, was starting to pay attention to these teachings from the East and the Buddha. And what Thoreau wrote in his journal is, I believe they can love their Jesus more than I love my Buddha for love is the main thing. Love is the main thing. Why did he say that love is the main thing? I think it's because he knew that love is the truest thing. That whatever our objects of devotion are, we need love to make those objects of devotion sing and be real in such a way that our lives come to their fullest fruition. One of the people quoted in the movie is Coleman Barks, again, so wonderfully well known for translating those ancient poetic words of Rumi. What was said to the rose to make it open was said to me here in my chest. Think about that for a moment. What was said to the rose to make it open was said to me here in my chest. There is rippling all throughout this world, the human world, the natural world, a desire for growth and flourishing. And we are not separate from that. We are of that. The Buddhist tradition calls this recognizing our precious human birth. Recognizing that of all the things we could have become in the universe, we had the beauty and the good fortune to be born as human beings and to wake up in this life and to recognize how connected we are what was said to the rose to make it open was said to me here in my chest and it's one of the reasons that why here at wellsprings spiritual practice is not just a luxury it's a necessity I have seen in my life and in so many people's lives what happens to us when we do not recognize the preciousness of our human birth. When we get driven on by the stress and the stress and the stress, which is never ending for most of us, of just another thing to do and another thing to do and another thing to do and another thing to do. And if we do not stop, the cost of that stress is that we will not see how precious our lives are. To stop and open up the powers of our perception so that we can feel how precious it is that we are alive and that we have been born and that we get to be here. It's like a question I asked a few weeks ago in a message How many things had to go right for you to be here today? The roads weren't flooded, your alarm clock worked, you're still breathing. And that's just the things today. Think about what happened before all the things had to go right. Your parents had to meet. You had to be born. Their grandparents and great-grandparents and all the way back. Think about the limitless number of things that had to go right for you to be here today. I'm not saying things don't go wrong. They go wrong all the time. Maybe a whole bunch of them are going wrong for you right now. But maybe we can just open a little bit of space at the same time to say this. How many things had to go right For just you to be here this morning. Don't discount that because all awakening begins there. If we can live in the light of recognizing that all the things that are going right for us simply to be here, we can make a second step that is in some ways even more important. We can start to ask ourselves this question. If I truly know and accept and love all the things that had to go right for me to be here, How can I do that next right thing so that I can continue to be here and other people can continue to be here and that life can continue to flourish? In this way, we can enter a virtuous circle that looks something like this. On the top is grace, the gift. We're here. A whole bunch of things, limitless number of things went right that we had absolutely nothing to do with. For people who want to say, well, I'm a self-made person. Hmm? Did you invent breathing? Did you invent the heartbeat? No. Then you're not self-made. I'm not saying our individual merit doesn't matter. I'm saying we're not self-made. That grace, that grace that we are here right now and so much has been given to us naturally can become gratitude. Saying thank you, meaning thank you. And not just a kind of thank you like, you know, sometimes we can say to kids, thank you to your little Aunt Mary for the fact that she gave you those bunny slippers that you really don't want. Not that kind of gratitude. The gratitude that recognizes the gift and the giver. So that we move on to the third thing in the circle. That our expression of gratitude becomes an expression of love this is a virtuous circle not a vicious one because the more we love the more we will recognize grace the more we live in grace the more we will be grateful the more we are grateful the more we will be able to love our lives this for me is kind of what the trinity means by the way the stuff that's in the past, that came before us, what's right here, right now, the thank you, and the love that goes on creating our lives into the future. In this, I can recognize the words of that great theologian, Van Morrison, and yeah, he was a great theologian. I mean, I, I think, this is my experience, that all definitions of God are totally provisional. What words could ever exhaust that which is inexhaustible? But as Van Morrison once sang, the love that loves to love. That's how we partake of the divine life. By being the love that loves to love, the love that that delights in its own devotion. Maybe you've had moments like this. Maybe you've been connected so much recently that in the act of loving something or someone or being loved, you delight in the capacity that you can love in the first place at all. That, I think, is so close to the heart of what divinity is. And it feeds us. And it lifts us up. And it does not mean that we get out of life without any difficulty. Indeed, engaging in this virtuous circle of grace and gratitude and love may mean at times that we even engage more deeply and invite the difficulty of this world into our hearts, not turning away from it, but knowing that we are not helpless in the midst of that difficulty, that we can touch what Gandhi called Satyagraha, soul power, And that we can be deeply resilient in facing the challenges of our lives. And in this movie, that is not subtle in just about any way at all. It tells you exactly what it wants you to believe. And it makes largely a pretty good case for it. There's one subtle point that for me was my favorite moment. I mentioned in the beginning of the message how the filmmaker had a terrible, traumatic bike accident. And it almost took from him everything that he loved. In one of the final frames of the movie, we see this. Tom Shadiac back up, riding his bike again. That's what grace and gratitude and love can do for us. We will all be from time to time in this life thrown off the bike. We will all be from time to time in this life confronted with the struggles and the sufferings of the world. Hopefully at that moment what we can do is exactly what the filmmaker did. That we can recognize we can still ride. That we can re-enter the cycle of of grace and gratitude and love, and that in belonging to this way of being, we can belong to who we already are, which is people who are so deeply beloved, so deeply beloved that it goes beyond what any belief could ever capture. Today, may you live in grace, may you express gratitude, and may you know that you are loved. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O oh, great love that loves to love, may we partake of that invitation. May we partake of that invitation that says life is here and we are not separate from it and join the great dance, join the great procession, join the great weeping, join the great laughter, join the great I am, we are. Join and know that we are held by bonds of belonging so tight that have been with us since life first breathed its breath. An additional prayer for me today of these beloved people. Although it is nothing that can be controlled and nothing that I can really ask, but still I pray it anyway. In the time that we are apart, may these beloved souls be kept safe from harm, safe from harms both inner and outer. And may all of us know how beloved we truly are. Amen.